Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Outside the Box Conversations. And we've got uh, one of my favorite guests back on the show in Dr. Mark Ellis. Dr. Mark Ellis, how's it going, man? Hey, awesome. Thanks for having me back on. No, I'm so pumped about this because we had a a really, it was a really interesting conversation uh, in our in our first episode, which you know, for the people out there watching on YouTube or podcasting, uh, it'll be in the in the show notes. We'll link that up to our first conversation. Uh, Dr. Mark Ellis, of course, is from Georgia Chiropractic Neurology Center. He is a functional chiropractor and also deals a lot with neuro. Uh, Dr. Ellis, why don't you give just a, for the people who didn't watch the first episode, tell us just a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Well, I have a background in uh, a few different things where I started off as a massage therapist and then I went to chiropractic school and then I did my postdoctorate diploma in functional neurology and then I did a master's degree in clinical neuroscience. And so what I've done is I've combined uh, manual medicine with neuro rehab and I have a primary focus on patients with concussions, vertigo, POTS, any type of a pain syndrome. And then, of course, now long haulers are just coming into the office left and right. It's been a bit wild. You know, we're, we're seeing so much COVID right now at Performance Medicine. And I know you're seeing a ton of long hauler right now at your practice. And in one of the things that I mean, I, I just know that with with your intro, I knew I was going to want to ask you like 10 different questions that was going to totally steer us off of where we were originally going to go through. So I'm, I'm not going to do that today like I did uh, the last time we spoke. Um, you mentioned POTS and uh, in long hauler COVID. Let's start with what are you seeing with long hauler COVID? Just give us a quick recap as far as what that is and the way you guys are approaching it. Well, so what happened, of course, with COVID is that there was a lot of lung pathologies and everybody was thinking about it as a lung problem. And then what would happen is frequently some of the patients who had less severe overt symptomatology ended up with these neurological problems and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They started to call themselves long haulers. We now have post-COVID syndrome. And what we understand is that the virus attacks different endothelial cells and different cell linings. And one of those is related to the brain. And so they're getting different brain conditions of loss of smell, paralysis, particularly in their lower extremities, some focus issues. And then they're getting this thing called POTS. Now, okay, so they're getting this thing called POTS what like what exactly is that what is is post-covid pots is how we're, we're terming it uh yeah and pot syndrome is not unique to covid correct correct not unique to covid <clears throat> so pots is postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome and it was really first described in about 1993 by um dr philip lowe And so what ends up happening is that when people stand up, their heart rate goes up. If you're above the age of 19, your heart rate needs to go up 30 points, so 30 beats per minute. If you're below that age, uh, it needs to go up 40 beats per minute. So what happens is the people stand up and their heart rate accelerates. And as they're pumping faster, they're not able to oxygenate their blood as well. And so they start to pump 
blood up to their brain less efficiently and less well oxygenated. And then they get lightheaded, dizzy. They can fall down and hit their head. So they get uh, concussions due to the POTS and they get anxiety and uh, fatigue and malaise. It's very, very debilitating. So so explain again, I, I, you, you, you put it in there, but I, I didn't quite... I'm not quite catching as far as like what could cause that, you know? So what could, say you, you notice this in yourself, like you notice your heart rate jumping up rapidly when you're standing up, then you're getting all the the consequences of that. Can you go over again, like what could be causing some of the, like could be causing POTS, I guess? Well, they're trying to still figure out exactly what the causes are. So one of the things that sometimes happens is um, these chemicals, for uh, neuroadrenergic chemicals, these chemicals that accelerate your heart rate, they will fluctuate for the person. Treatment-wise, medical doctors will give people uh, sodium to try to change the blood pressure or exercise or compression bands. And they're working to really understand what it is because it's not something wrong with the heart. So the way that, that we're looking at it is it's a brain-based issue. So you have different receptors. In your neck, you have your carotid artery. When you stand up, the blood in your body goes down to your feet. And so there's a sensor in your neck called um, a baroreceptor or a pressure receptor. And when when you're, let's say that your blood pressure goes up, like in hypertension, your artery will stretch. And when it stretches, it activates that pressure receptor and it goes up into your brain and it activates this nerve center that people really love called the vagus nerve. <laughs> and then the vagus nerve comes down and it it slows your heart rate down. And that's the way it should work. So it stretches. The messages go up into your lower brain stem to activate your vagus nerve. And then your vagus nerve, which is part of your parasympathetic nervous system, it slows your heart down. Well, the opposite's happening when you stand up. So when you stand up, you get less stretch on your artery. So that means you get less stimulation to your vagus nerve and your vagus nerve does not fire as high. So then your heart will naturally go up. And, and, but that's what you're wanting because say you're standing up, you're preparing your body for activity, for doing something. Yeah. So you want exactly. you want a a sense of that. You don't want to totally activate your vagus nerve, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So what happens is you got it. So when you stand up, you you change that activity and your heart rate goes up. It should go up about 10 points for 10 seconds. So when you stand up, you start to pump your blood a little bit faster because it's going to your feet, but you want it to go to your head. So you pump it a little faster, you reset your system, and then then your artery stretches back to where it should be, and you get the correct uh, balance in your nervous system, and then your heart rate will come back down. So let's say you're at, say, 60 beats a minute, you stand up, it should go up to about 70, and then within 10 seconds, it should come back to 60. Got it. Okay. But people with POTS, that's not working. And so when they stand up, their heart rate 
will not get the message and it'll go up 20 points, 30 points, 40 points, 70 points. So some people can go from a heart rate of 70 to 130, 140, and then they're getting anxiety and nausea and dizziness and, and they can pass out. And uh, so they end up with POTS. Now, the way I, because I didn't know they could pass out, I'm assuming that they could pass out because the vagus nerve tries to overcompensate and relaxes you even more and then you pass no. out? No, it's just a protective mechanism. So if, if it, it happens with vertigo okay, and different things that we'll see a lot. So, you know, one of the classic ones, I guess, is that somebody's getting married and they get stressed out and maybe their heart rate starts to accelerate and their breathing gets messed up and they start getting lightheaded and dizzy and then they pass out. Well, if my heart is here and my head is here, I have to pump the blood up to my head to keep oxygen for my brain. If I'm not doing that efficiently and I pass out, then my heart and my head are at the same level. So the blood will flow into my brain and help me reset. So by passing out, it's like this natural protective mechanism really wow. to help you to reset. So, and, but, and then of course, you know, that's where like smelling salts and stuff like that come into play to, to, to bring people back, you know, wake them back up. Is that, is that still yes. the right thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's the right thing <laughs> to do. You got to kind of get them, get them a little bit jump started. Um, so because this, your oxygen and everything is so related to all your functions. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta get them turn back online. So, you know, you, you said it's a brain, it's a brain issue, but I'm still thinking it could be like a, a blood flow issue. So, you know, if, cause you're not pumping enough blood to the head quick enough, or you're uh, pumping too much blood to the head and you're trying to get that even, you know, with you said with your heart and your head, what, what, what I keep thinking about is um, I, I went to a wedding actually one time and, and, you know, when you're standing up there forever, it's hot and I've seen like, you know, people in the bridal party, you know, they, they just, they lock knee or something and they just pass out, you know, yeah. what, what does the lock knee have to do with it? Cause I know they kind of coach you before is like, okay, keep your knees bent. <laughs> you know, what does that have anything to do with it? I, I, I never studied that medically I, in martial arts. We just always said it's changing the blood flow return. I, I don't know if it it is or isn't. That's um, It's just really interesting. I should probably go study that now. <laughs> that way you can like coach people before, before marriage, I guess. But, yeah. uh, but, but isn't that interesting though? Because we do know for sure that even you hear it all the times, if you lock your knees, you're going to pass out. So it's, it's yep. kind of fascinating from a, a, a manual medicine perspective that changing the way your knees function can change the way your blood's flowing through your body and how you feel on a daily basis. And so, again, I think that we that we were talking about that last time, which is in medicine now, people are becoming more and more holistic and more integrative medicine because you really you really need to. So you, you have to look at the whole person. Um, it's so important. Even something you would think as strange as what's your posture and how does your posture affect your nervous system? 
Well, it, um, but I think that's, you know, posture in your nervous system seems um, so intertwined to me, you know, they like, are. It, like it has, and I don't know about the, the knees part, because I don't know what that would have to do with, with blood flow necessarily, but yeah. you know, it's just super fascinating. And I, I love the fact that, you know, there's certain things that you can do on an everyday basis that can help like something that you would think would be unrelated. Yeah. Know? So, you know, one of the things that we look at a lot is that with your nervous system, you have your central nervous system and then you have more your volitional and then what we call your autonomic nervous system. And we break that down into a couple areas. You have sympathetic and parasympathetic. The sympathetic is, is associated with anxiety, stress, fight, flight, freeze, increased blood pressure, increased sweating, uh, all these different things. Uh, your your digestion is your digestive transit time goes goes faster so you don't metabolize your food maybe as well and the parasympathetic they call it feed and breed so that's like rest relaxation enjoying life digesting your food different things like that well when you're a and then it it links to posture so when you're younger and you're a baby you're in this this flexed posturing and the muscles on the front of your body are tighter than the back. And so what ends up happening is the baby's heart rate is higher. Their food transit times are faster. So they have different digestion, things like that. Well, as the baby begins to develop, they fire what we call extensor muscles. So they start to push themselves up, lift their head, crawl and move and they start to develop their higher brain. Well, your higher brain fires down and it inhibits these lower centers of your nervous system. And it starts to control your heart rate and it starts to control your digestion and it lowers your sympathetics and raises your parasympathetics. Your higher brain's also associated with happiness and enjoying life and making good decisions. Then as people's brains don't fire as well, maybe they're getting older or something happens to them, they go back into flexion and their heart rate goes up and their blood pressure goes up and maybe they get more susceptible to anxiety and things. So um, you, there's this relationship between emotionality, posture, and your, the health of your autonomic nervous system, which controls uh, your, your blood flow and digestion. So this is sort of a fun exercise. So anyone watching this can try this at home. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to slouch down in our chair, okay? And then we bend our head forward, we look down, and we frown, and now feel happy, Okay. Okay. Well, it's a little challenging. So now we switch and we sit up nice and straight. We pull our shoulders back. We bend our head back. We look up and we smile and now try to feel sad. Yeah, so, that's, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what happens is your posture and your emotionality are interrelated. They did a study where they injected people with Botox. They took depressed people injected them with Botox into the muscles for frowning. 
Okay. Okay. And then they reported less depression. So, <laughs> so, and then depressions associated with anxiety and lower brain function and things, your posture, your mind, and the health of your organs are massively interrelated. I, I've always heard that it's very, um, you know, if you, if you can develop the habit of smiling, you know, it's, it's hard to be depressed. Like your mood is going to be, you know, automatically lifted. I hadn't thought about looking up cause, cause when I, when I looked up like that, you do, you, I can almost feel like the parasympathetic nervous system being activated almost. Cause you, you kind of, it's like a relaxing, uh, pose, I guess. Yeah. So that's where you want to ex- exercise what we call your postural muscles to bring your shoulder back and keep your back stronger. Whereas a lot of people exercise their front muscles, which pull them forward and make them like this. So by changing what you exercise or how you smile or how you look, you actually alter your perception of the world. And that to me is so cool. And I I hope the guys, you know, whoever's listening and watching, I hope you guys, um, you know, do that because it really can, especially if you're having a rough day, uh, try some of those poses that Dr. Ellis uh, just uh, exemplified for us. And and I want to go back to to POTS now and, and like, how is COVID, what does COVID have to do with, with POTS? Like, how is it activating that? You know, like, is there... It's and we it, it affects different parts of your nervous system and it's affecting this lower brainstem area, and when you affect that lower brainstem area, what ends up what ends up happening is you're uh, you're right in here, okay, and you have you have your lower brainstem, middle brainstem, upper, and then your whole brain. Well, down in here, this is where you control all your digestion and nausea centers, vertigo centers. And this is where your vagus nerve is. And your vagus nerve is very important, not just for digestion, but also for how you feel in life and making decisions. It's affecting that area. Um, they, they, they started diagnosing it in early 2000s. Um, this guy, uh, McGillis, had the first case report of it. And now we're just seeing it more and more and more. So just a few months ago, it was a bit of a surprise to the scientific community. And now we're, we're hearing about it a lot more. In terms of just people with long, long hauler syndrome de- yep. developing POTS. Yeah. Yeah. And now here's the problem. POTS anyway, uh, the uh, Dysautonomia International Association, they did a study in 2013, and they looked at, I think it was 700 700 different POTS patients. The average POTS patient went five years and 11 months without being diagnosed as it. Um, So they were not finding the diagnosis. And um, prior to that, 59% 59% of those patients, 59% of patients with POTS were told it was all in their head and they just had anxiety. Mm-hmm. So outside of the COVID component, just the POTS component has been massively underdiagnosed. We're getting better at it now. So I'm having more and more patients come in 
and the doctors discovered that they had POTS and they knew it. And then they give them like a, a beta blocker or a salt pill or compression pans. But uh, the average POTS patient was traveling 100 miles for care. Uh, but now I think it's getting better. What, like, you know, when you, when you said, can, can you just real quick go over what some of the symptom, symptoms of POTS are? Is it just getting lightheaded and your, and your heart rate jumping up rapidly? Well, they'll get lightheaded. They might feel heart palpitations. They'll feel like tremors inside. This is a really fascinating thing because some people with different conditions, one of the classic ones is, is movement disorders they'll feel like they're moving inside their body, but they aren't. So, you know, sometimes you get nervous and you feel like you're shaking, but you aren't shaking. Yep. That gives you a horrible, horrible sense of anxiety. And so they'll feel this internal shaking. They'll get weakness. They'll get blurry vision. They'll get fatigue. They can pass out. They get vertigo. Syncope is when they pass out. Um, and so they'll get all these different symptoms. And, you know, a lot of those symptoms are the same things people with anxiety will get. They'll get nauseous. So they get all these, they get a whole conglomeration of symptoms with it. Yeah. And, and even, you know, when you're, when you're mentioning the, the symptoms, I'm also thinking, well, you know, wouldn't some of the way we would look at and treat anxiety also help with this, you know, like changing up some of the postural, you know, situations, uh, maybe doing some, uh, meditation, uh, learning to breathe. Uh, is that kind of how you look at it or is it way more complicated, which I'm kind of anticipating that is. Well, I, I definitely look at it like you were saying, particularly if you don't, uh, have someone who, is able to really fix it. So you just have to learn to deal with it. For me at my office, what I do is I, I evaluate it and then I do different rehab treatments to try to recalibrate their nervous system and get it to work better so that they can stand up and their heart rate's normal. And then I get them back to their daily activities and, you know, they, they do much, much better. So there's the kind of like, well, what could you do for yourself at home? And then there's the, right. you know, um, how can we treat it? And uh, again, the, the treatments that we do are a little more unique, I think. Um, we're just this, this smaller group related to chiropractic neurology or different people who are practicing functional neurology. And so we do a lot of different brain rehab, whereas a a lot of the patients, they'll go in and they'll do like cycling. So, you know, they have to bicycle every day or try to do this different exercise to keep their blood pressure at a certain level and things. Could you like, it, it kind of feels like you could have, you know, a, maybe a mild form of POTS and you could put a bandaid over it through, you know, anxiety type, like pe- people exercise at, out of anxiety, you know, you could, you could almost cover it up in a way and, and learn to live with it without actually addressing the root problem, which, you know, you and I have talked a lot about in integrative, you know, kind of an integrative world where we're trying to get to the root. Uh, yeah. what's your thought on that? Is that, is that like a big problem? Do you have any problem? Yeah, with- I mean, I mean, and I, I think one of the most important things in there is that, some people don't have an, 
official pots. It's not like you have pots, but your pots like. And so they just have it a little bit, but they still get lightheaded and nauseous and irritated and their digestion's off, but they don't like officially have it. But for that person, the impact on their life mm. is really significant. And then you're correct. What 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 we're all going to try to do is we're all going to try to figure out how do we how do we balance our life? And so if you figure out, oh, eating better or exercising better, that helps you to get through it, then that's what you're going to do. Right. Um, and, which is great. I mean, that's you should do the best you can do with it. But you are you are covering it a little bit. And that's right. where if something happens like a head injury or or maybe you get a, an infection or some sort of metabolic problem like you didn't realize that you had a metabolic syndrome and you're not regulating your blood sugar optimally, even though you don't have diabetes, you still have metabolic syndrome that can begin to flare this other problem that you have. And the two things can, can affect each other. You know, and I don't know if this is a bad question or not, but could, because there's, 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 there's a lot of fear around COVID could that fear and anxiety around getting diagnosed with COVID or coming down with COVID, could that be the thing that, you know, that sympathetic response, could that like bring on pots? Is that kind of what's happening in your, in your, in your opinion? I would, I, it's again, that's my opinion. I don't right. think that that has at all been researched, but we know for sure that people with vertigo can have anxiety and people with anxiety can have vertigo. We know for sure that if you're in uh, psychological duress, your heart rate can go up and your autonomic nervous system can get changed. So if you're in a chronic state of psychological duress and stress and anxiety about anything, getting fired from your job, how's my family going to do? Or am I or am I not going to get COVID? then it can impact your autonomic nervous system and it could lead to these issues. But especially if you do get it and then COVID has a predilection to, to affect the brain tissue as well as the heart and the lungs uh, and the vascular tissue for sure. Well, and I'm sure that's why, you know, we're seeing so much of it right now. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it's just, it seems pretty clear. Now, I, I, I want to ask, and, you know, we're running a, a little bit out of time, but real quick, where does vertigo play into this? You've mentioned it a few times, and uh, vertigo and pot seem to be very similar. Am, am I wrong? I'm, I'm not super educated on, on vertigo, and, and I know that. Well, go ahead. Pe people who get pots will get vertigo. So there's different types of vertigo there. And I think, I think we're going to do a podcast on it, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, but, but there's different types of vertigo. So there's one vertigo where you lay down and you get dizzy. And then there's one vertigo where you see the world moving. And then there's one vertigo where you're moving or you feel like you're moving. And then there's one vertigo where you just have bad feelings inside of your body. So when you have, the, the, the circuitry for vertigo is highly interrelated to these same circuitries for digestion and nausea and, and feelings of rotation or seeing the world rotate. 
the circuitries are the same. So when you get POTS and your heart rate um, goes up, it affects that circuitry very, very powerfully. And then people will get basically vertigo sometimes associated with their POTS. And, uh, and so you have to get that circuitry stabilized and the, the two of them tend to go away together. It's really interesting. I, for some reason, you know, I always had vertigo as like an inner ear sort of thing, which I, I know it's kind of, you know, I know inner ears highly correlated with the brain. Um, but it's just kind of interesting. I, 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 am, am I way off out of curiosity? No, you're, you're exactly right. Um, so the, what we call the vestibular apparatus is inside your inner ear. And what it does is it was one of the, the first, when you, I, I'm really more of a, um, creationist than an evolutionist, but the evolutionary concepts are really, really good. So when you, when you look at fish and different things, the, the, what, the vestibular system was developing and it helps you to stay oriented and that's in your inner ear. And so if I close my eyes and I don't move my body, but I rotate through space, I know that I'm rotating because of my inner ear. And so if I get an infection in my inner ear, a viral infection or a bacterial infection or something like that, I can feel like I'm spinning or uh, there's a benign positional vertigo where people get these little crystals that go in the wrong place. And then, um, and then uh, people can get head injuries. And so not to take away from, from our next talk, but a lot of times they get diagnosed with an inner ear problem and maybe even treated and fixed. But what happened is the inner ear is sending messages in and that's your vestibular apparatus. But then there's your vestibular system, which is interrelated to your eyes, posture, your inner ear, your thought processes. That's the whole system. Mm. And if you get an inner ear problem, you'll literally recalibrate the activity of your central nervous system in your brain. And even though you fix the, the inner ear one, you're ended up with this permanent brain one, and now you have what we call a central vertigo and not a peripheral vertigo. And so you're right, except that it gets more and more and more involved and you have to figure out which one the person really has. And again, you have to look at that person because everyone's entitled to more than one problem. Right. So, you know, they could have three or four things related to their vertigo, not just one. And you have to find all three or four and help them. And again, going, just going back to that integrative healthcare yep. is the future. It's happening. And, you know, it's cool. You're on the forefront of it. And, uh, and it's just, it's fun to get together with colleagues and look at, well, how, what do you do metabolically? What do we do uh, mechanically? These different things, how do you combine it all together to try to help people to live the best life they can. You know, and, and that's a, that's a perfect teaser to our next podcast, guys. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna do a, a dedicated episode on, 
on uh, Vertigo with Dr. Ellis that I'm, you know, that was a perfect teaser. So thank you for that. I'm really excited about that conversation because I know so many people suffer from that. Um, any, you know, before we, we hang up here, any tips for people who might be dealing with anxiety around COVID uh, specifically, or, you know, there's a lot of people who've already been diagnosed with, with POTS. Anything, any, any parting advice? Oh boy, that's a really, that's a really, really heavy, heavy topic. I mean, yeah. because that's too heavy for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, because it's, it's a life or death kind of a thing, isn't it? Is. it? I mean, it people, is. people are getting really compromised. I think here's the advice. Here's my advice. I do have some. Okay. Is, um, is, as I've been watching and being involved in patient care for the last couple of years, and, and I think about what's going on, I think one of the biggest areas that we've come up short in is educating people about how to keep their immune system healthy. Mm -hmm. So there was an argument with Louis Pasteur, and I can't remember the other guy at the time, and they argued over do you try to keep your body environment healthy or do you try to attack the pathogens and kill them? And so there's, there's this debate and I think that both are correct. So one is to be healthy, you want your internal environment healthy. And then if it gets overwhelmed, you wanna come in with some sort of an outside treatment to to kill that pathogen. So learn about the advantages of water, exercise, uh, light, how to sleep, pH regulation, eating fruits and vegetables, keeping your blood sugar healthy. So how do you, what do you do in the meantime to be as healthy as you can while you're trying to avoid this pandemic. And I would assume that you, do you, you take people who um, don't actually have a whole lot of problems and you, do you teach them about healthcare? That's right. You do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I recommend that they find somebody like you who is doing healthcare based education and lifestyle modification ahead of the problem. Don't, don't, you don't need to put the ambulance at the bottom of the hill when you could put a guardrail at the top or, mm. or, you know, you should have both. And so, um, protect your health the best you can. And then, uh, you know, I think that's the best advice. I love that. Dr. Ellis, thank you so much guys. You can find him at healthybrainnow.com. Be sure to check him out. Dr. Mark Ellis, man, I, I really appreciate this. This has been so much fun as always. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Guys, uh, stay tuned. We're going to do another episode with Dr. Ellis on Vertigo. Uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, I am your host, Ben Rogers. This has been Outside the Box Conversations. We appreciate you guys hanging out. Uh, until next time, we'll see you then. Don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.